You can't change history. You can't pick and choose what you decide is history. I think I'll just leave them alone and leave them where they are, you know. They're part of history. Just I just don't think we can erase our history. Never meaning no harm. It may not represent the best idea that anybody ever came up with. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group, excuse me, excuse me, I saw the same pictures as you did. Why do you carry that flag? Because this is my heritage. My family fought to save their form under this flag. Who was working that farm? My, my family was. Who was working the farm? They were poor. Do you know how much a slave cost back then? The Born to Be Mild Podcast. Hey, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Born to Be Mild. It's the week of June 14th, 2020. With me, as always, is Ron Cabuno. You know me as Peter Crawford. It's nice to be back here with you, buddy. What's the good word? Ah, good day, Mr. Crawford. Welcome back to our fine program. Uh, I hope you're you. proud of the way that we held it down, and when I say we, I mean I, in your brief but noticeable absence. <laughs> the royal we, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there has been so much going on since the last time we spoke, and that even though we did a show just last week, I think we got to stick to what has transpired since just last Sunday. We have a Democratic bill in Congress with bipartisan support that's asking for a lot of the police reforms that people are asking about. And we somehow have an argument over the validity of the Confederate flag and whether or not it belongs in our culture. And uh, let's not forget that just because President Trump would like to declare victory over our little stateless microbiotic invader, the coronavirus, it is still among us with uh, several populous states showing all-time single-day highs and seven-day highs of numbers of infections and hospitalizations. So we've got a big buffet here of a bunch of important stuff and a couple of little tapas of other tangential stories we can get into later in the worlds of sports and entertainment. But I say uh, we should get right to where we should start, and that is at the Black Lives Matter movement as well as police reforms. How's that sound? That sounds good to me, buddy. All right, all right. So first and foremost, I think we should talk about the funeral of George Floyd. I believe it was maybe Tuesday, four or five days ago. We're recording I, on I Sunday. I that's correct. It was midweek. Yeah. Yeah. So he was raid, uh, laid to rest in Houston, uh, his place of his birth. And I thought it was awesome that after you had all these celebrities at first, you know, speaking to it, then you had all the family members, you know, come up and give their personal and, you know, much more important remembrances of Floyd. It, it ended with... Uh, the the amazing Al Sharpton, first of all, asking all these families who have had victims of police violence stand up, and the attendance was insane. It was the family of Eric Garner. It was uh-huh. the family of Michael Brown. It was the family of so uh-huh. many people, and they all, all stood up. Names. And in the end, you know, he said that uh, he he invoked the psalm that. The very stone which the builders reject has become the cornerstone. And I thought that was perfect because here you have just an ordinary guy 
who's has his faults, and yet, regardless of what he's done, his death should mean just as much to us as anyone else who's gotten killed. So I, I thought that was amazing. Like, he, you know, he said that, hey, if you're an athlete, they're going to say that we're making a big deal out of your death because of your fame. It's like, no, 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 there's no excuse here. It's just a regular dude, and we need to talk about what happened to this good dude, and he, luckily he sparked the movement. Yeah, uh, <laughs> luckily may not be my, my choice of word there, but Al Sharpton, as divisive of a a political character as he's been, I guess, over the past uh, decade or two at this point. The guy really does have a gift with words. And at the given state we are as as a nation right now, I don't really know that you can listen to his message and see that many people standing for the same cause, for the same injustice, and continue to politicize and make this just about the Democrats or... Uh, God forbid the, the the talk of this this being uh, an entirely uh, politicized movement full of actors and uh, plants. I never even heard of stuff like that until maybe around Sandy Hook. And then suddenly, do you remember that when there was always the the meme going around of the same white girl who was at every shooting crying or something? Yeah, it was. No, I mean was, this is the Alex Jones crowd come to life. It is, and I I I don't know how you can be human. And by the way, that meme was largely. Uh, proven to be wrong. It was three three different girls. I know white girls with brown hair all look alike, but uh, three different people, obviously. Yeah. And these these plants and these things. This this isn't a situation where we can continue to say, well, maybe this was a, li- a liberal conspiracy. Maybe this was about George Soros. Everything isn't about George Soros. <laughs> Everything isn't a conspiracy just because something happened that you don't agree with. And I thought that Sharpton's words were poignant. I thought that they they hit home to the families that are affected. And it's true. George Floyd was not a perfect man. And you know what? There's two guys doing a podcast right now in Ohio who are not perfect men either. But we don't deserve to be murdered for it. And no one else does either. That's right. He is just as worthy of a person and worthy of respect and worthy of due process under the law as anybody in the country. And so Agreed. I guess I, I definitely have to say that I didn't mean that it was we – were, luckily, uh, you know, it sparked a protest. I just mean that, it, you know, his, his death was not in vain and that we are definitely going to be yes. making steps towards change in the systemic – racism that is in this country and it's so pervasive that when it all gets thrown in white people's faces at once it can seem like a lot but at the same time it's a great time to reflect and maybe make change immediately in broad swaths of the country so that we can just move forward as much as possible and understand that this kind of stuff isn't going to be tolerated from here on out you're right, and I knew what you meant. I didn't mean to uh, throw no, a No, but I just there, but, I don't um, want it to be seen as anything like uh, you know what what you would call uh, capitalizing on something. It's just that um, we want to make sure that he is remembered the right way. And I think we need to we need to use the momentum that this country has right now, moving in that direction. At in the the time when we need it the most and we can use it the most to actually make some change because now is the time now is the time when everyone's got your back i'd like to say everyone i guess there's a few people in our country washington Uh dc who don't have your back but for the most part you've got a strong surge going right now with with people coming together on the left 
in the in the black and the white communities, at yeah. athletes and you know media uh, outlets. Now is the time, and that's to just push it, like and make a change. What you're hearing over and over again from black people commenting on the protests is, "Oh my God, look how many white people are out here!" <laughs> right, and that and that you know, and then you got the old heads who are saying, "Hey, we didn't see this back in the day, but you know, like when we were marching back in '68 and whatnot, it wasn't like that." I mean, there were obviously your uh, liberal college students and whatnot, but in terms of broader public sentiment, it was not. It was not where it's at today. It and didn't exist. We've all had enough of it because we see what it does to fellow humans and we see what it does to our communities. And it's not right. And we all want to, you know, be just as valued uh, in the eyes of the government and the eyes of our fellow citizens. Um, so, yeah. yeah, in terms of capitalizing on the moment, the Dems do have a bill in Congress that does have some bipartisan support. Now, it does have some sticking points like qualified immunity where um, they want to get rid of that so that cops cannot hide underneath the cloak of I was just doing my job type orders. But it has the chokehold ban. It has a national misconduct registry where, you know, essentially it's like a, I don't know, like a predator priest type thing where you can't just go somewhere else and have your record swept clean and right. there's more you know uh, transparency in terms of your record and what's happened so i mean that, i think it's great and and we'll see where that goes yeah and i don't know if it's enough but um it's something and you know th- like i said this is the time now that we have the momentum and looking at uh the, the four police officers um in, in minneapolis they are being punished, and people want to say that justice is going to be served. But no, this man is dead, so there, there's no justice. When justice is served, there won't be the chokehold. There won't be the murder. There won't be three men standing there watching another one basically be killed because he had a counterfeit $20 bill. That's when there's justice. Because right now, convicting a man of second-degree murder or convicting another three men of aiding and abetting murder, that isn't justice for George Floyd. Not no, because all you're doing is getting over the hurdle one time, but the hurdle still remains. Right. It's it's a, a larger systemic problem. Not not four guys. <laughs> right. And speaking to that, in that bill, there is um, obviously some mandated racial bias training, but also how to teach the officers about their duty to intervene. As in, don't just stand there like an idiot. As in the three other guys, yep, that could have yeah. stopped Chauvin from doing what he was doing. Yeah, and also uh, restricts the transfer of military-grade equipment to state and local law enforcement. So you're not going to see the uh, Mayberry police armed to the teeth with Hummers anymore, hopefully. <laughs> right. And then I also, Andy Griffith and his Hummer, man. All the yeah, time. well, he was always mobbing around, strong-arming with the aviators <laughs> on, just eyeing people up. He did. <laughs> he and Barney Fife were some real heroes. <laughs> and they had the uh, barbed wire tattoos, I believe, as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, also requiring federal uniformed police officers to wear body cameras. I cannot tell you how important I feel this is. Like I, I, how, The pushback on that, I don't understand it. Why? Yeah. What's wrong with it? It's accountability <laughs> pushback. That's what it is. It's like, well, you're not going to understand what we had to do in that moment. It's like, well, if you keep it rolling the whole time, I think we'll get a clearer picture. We'll have a much more clear picture than if you just told me your side of the story. I'd like to hear the other side, <laughs> too, but that guy's that's dead. That's kind of been the problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So, I, I mean, mean, yeah. It's, again, what, what Will Smith said before, and I, I made this comment a couple weeks ago, but racism isn't getting worse. It's just getting filmed. So how Damn many right. times has this happened? And, like, there is no reason not to put 
uh, cameras on these guys. I can understand a little pushback on the military-grade equipment. The, the, the right wing is going to do that. It's just going to happen. But there is no argument to be made against body cameras to hold these uh, policemen accountable for their jobs. So another, speaking of videotaped incidents, there was um, mm-hmm. a, a 27-year-old in Atlanta that just got shot recently. Um, he was asleep in the drive-thru at Wendy's. Uh, and then when the cops showed up, he got in a fight with them a little bit and uh, stole one of their tasers. And he was, I think, inebriated or something, but not well and not completely of of the right mind. But So he's running away and then turns back towards the police officers and they shoot him and kill him. Um, and now I didn't see the, this video. So, yeah, so the, the officer is fired. The Atlanta police chief resigns. And I did see that. And then, and then protesters and rioters, let's say, lit the Wendy's on fire. Um, so, like, there are big consequences happening, but, like, you can see the pushback on that one where the, the, the cops will say, listen, we were just doing our jobs. This man, you know, had a weapon and he was turning towards the officer with it. But then my pushback is we have to learn how to meet nonviolent, um, weapons with non-violent react or non-lethal yeah non-lethal it's, it's, weapons so if the you're gonna tell me and the looting needs to needs to end now because yeah. the statement has been made and change is happening but you don't need to flame broil a wendy you know what that's burger kings that's a bad pun you don't need to, yeah. to barbecue a wendy's <laughs> just because the guy was in the drive-thru there that doesn't have anything to do with dave thomas and his delicious old-fashioned hamburgers so yeah square ones too I mean, um, yeah, and you can, like I said, we, we we made some justification and validation a couple weeks ago for when the whole BLM rioting and looting started, and I stand by that, and I know you do too, but there's a time and a place, and now it's time to start moving back toward a peaceful society and burning down a Wendy's restaurant that has nothing to do with the incident itself is uh, senseless. I absolutely agree, and so you cannot give hate to use the pun, but fuel to the fire of the right oh and especially <laughs> Cheeto in chief and his argument in terms of this isn't a real movement that needs to be understood. Like uh, he was overheard a couple times this week saying these protesters aren't my voters, so I really don't have to address what they have to say. Well, if if everyone is, you know, I mean, these peaceful protests have been so powerful since the rioting has gotten everyone's attention that we could do it on the most proper means possible and still get the reform enacted. That You know what? He said a lot of shit. That's got to be one of the most un-American things that's ever escaped his lips. Absolutely. I mean, now, not only that, but like he sunk to a new low in terms of my estimation when he said this week that the guy in buffalo who just got completely bulldozed and Mm -hmm. cracked his head open was this plant this antifa plant who was trying to jam uh the the sensors or whatever or the monitors of of the cops like and he just totally uh passes on this oan n whatever uh trump i think it's just oan i don't know how to i don't care enough to learn (laughs) <laughs> no, but they're a total bullshit network who basically just sits they're in the White the House and gets bullshit. called on all the time because they suck balls night and day for him. And they're like, uh, excuse me, President Trump, they were being super mean to you and we don't think that fair. Don't you agree? And oh, that says, woman. That woman <laughs> yeah. who, who asked the question, she is the worst. She has no business being at a press conference. 
It's like a reverse trolling. It's a slurp job is what it is, and it's on TV. Yeah, and he sits up there, and he's he's so unapologetic. That's a great question. I really appreciate your question, your honest reporting. Like, get the fuck out of here. How do you have credentials? How is this? Yeah, this is a joke. It's a complete joke. This is a YouTube uh, channel, which has essentially become the new Breitbart, except worse. Right. And, of course, they're going to be asking these questions because they know their base. They know OAN is is an absolute farce of a news organization. And it is. Anyone it should who have thinks probably, otherwise... It should probably have a Confederate flag as their logo. Um, it, you know, it's who Trump goes to when Fox News isn't slurping them that day. Right. And that's that's several days at this point because they're not always all about him. Thank I goodness. Mean, you can't stick up for what he does anymore. Um, but so luckily you have real reporters doing their jobs. And then once again... Um, which you know kind of speaks to the uh, intro we had a, a time or two ago where the reporter was asking if they had seen Trump's tweet or what do you think about Trump's latest thing and they were all able to say oh I don't know I didn't see it I well missed it. they asked him about this one and about the the bullshit tweet about the the buffalo protester and mm-hmm. when they said oh I didn't see it they had printed copies available for them it's like Oh, I don't want to take No, never mind. I can't comment on it. So That's awesome. they're trying to, yeah, get rid of every single avenue they have to get out. And um, essentially the question you have to ask is, don't they matter? Because they want to say, well, it's just a tweet or I don't, you know, I don't get into commenting on the president's tweets. It's like, well, actually, it's official, you know, proclamations by the, the baby the in chief. Yeah. yeah. No, it is. Yeah, it is. Yes, it's social media, but it's still an official statement written directly by the man himself. Yeah, if you're going to listen to the ones that say, I'm going to transfer funds for the border wall, and you're going to speak to that one, you can speak to this one as well. If one of them counts, they all count. They all count, which is a lot. A lot of tweets. The guy tweets, (laughs) oh man. And people have kind of seen it as something... Um, there's been a lot of talk about Trump tweeting, but I think th- th- we've had such a dim opinion of the media lately, people with the sensationalism, and they think there's this incestuous relationship where they're all really just in agreement on everything, but they're just you know fighting for all the ratings. And so there's been some kind of a, a buildup of the fact that we can hear directly from the president all the time and get the real news. It's like the exact opposite of that. You were literally hearing one side of a story from a man, an instable man, who has burned almost all of his ties with the media, save for our, our, our friends over at OANN, and that is the incestuous problem in American media right now. And there are many credible accounts that this man is firing these off from the shitter. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, just... <laughs> <laughs> like this is not a lie. This is not what we're making up. He is he is evacuating Big Macs while throwing people under the bus, and, and it has oh national God. and and global ramifications. It's just preposterous. We need an image of that on our Facebook page for the background. Yeah, no. Oh my God. Um, so uh, <laughs> on the bulwark this week, uh, the author and um, actually former Cruz um, election campaign or whatever person, Amanda Carpenter, 
she had a book. She has a book that's called Gaslighting America, mm-hmm. and it's all about how we love to hear Donald Trump lie to us because, for one reason or another, either we're you know ready and foaming at the mouth to oppose it, or we want to eat it up and shove right. it down the lib's throat, whatever. But oh, she's God, putting together a a top one hundred list of Trump misdeeds. Now she didn't want to qualify them in. Uh, importance from one to a hundred so she's doing it chronologically and i reached out to her on twitter i'm like is this thing ready yet because i need to look at it and she's like she said not yet but i mean like we all know about them but some of them we've forgotten about because there's been so fucking many so and when you see so many of them together the weight the real magnitude kind of sinks in as opposed to just seeing one every other day that you might look at or see one that's stupid you're like well sometimes he says dumb stuff like well here's the ocean the pacific ocean of all the stuff that he said and we're just gonna line them all up for you right now machiavellian uh thinking will tell you that death by a thousand cuts means that you cannot plug all the holes but if you get to see them all at once in summation then yes the weight is thrust upon you yeah, that's, a, um, that's. I mean, I'm excited to read that too. <laughs> right, right, absolutely. So, I mean, we'll see. But it's like you forget that this man started with a lie on day one and trotted out Spice Boy and said that our crowds were the biggest ever. This is how he starts his presidency. So, yes. I mean, it's and all downhill from there. We've become so desensitized to it because it's so common. It's so day to day that it's it's hard to even hard and to even turn your neck. You don't know which battle to fight. There are so many. What is worth my time? Well, I can tell you her writing this book is worth her time. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but you can tell that the supporters on the fringe are eroding. Um, like, I was oh, yeah. in public, you know, just a regular place, and I hear this guy on the phone this week, and he's talking, like, uh, all I can hear is his side of the conversation, obviously. Sure. But... Um, he starts with this denigration about George Floyd as the martyr for the movement. He's like, you know, probably not the best guy you want to have. And so I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to listen to what this guy has to fucking say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, but then he follows it up with uh, the next thing I hear is, oh, you know, he just doesn't say the right things. You know, if he would just say the right things, he could get elected so easily. And they give him all the chances, but he always screws it up. He doesn't mean what he says. He was being sarcastic. So you could tell that this is a guy that wants to vote for Trump, but his moral center is not completely rotten yet and just understands that this man is digging a hole that he cannot support, which is which is a little reassuring. You know, like there are some people that are reflecting a little bit on what they may or may not do in the in the in the, in the booth. Yeah, no doubt. The pendulum is, uh, has swung back the other way and people are quick to uh, say... Um, this is something we've discussed before that all of the things that have happened here not all Trump's fault but like you know indirectly yes even he himself has said that uh, stuff like this falls on leadership of course he said that during the last president Mm -hmm. but the same has to true hold now and yeah I'm sorry but the, the, the riots and the things like that we saw a real lack of leadership the coronavirus lack of leadership and meanwhile you know, you're evacuating Big Macs and making tweets. Yeah, he's absolutely absent at the right times and at all the wrong times, depending on who you ask. Because, um, it, listen, this guy is not a leader 
when he has to come from behind. He can only do it when it's out front and when, you know, the wind is at his back. Yeah, he's been a front runner his whole life. So <laughs> Yeah, he was born on third and thought he hit a triple. Exactly. So in terms of capitalizing on this moment, you have a little bit of a branding issue um, in the in the police reform movement. And I have got to say that, you know, I listened to the controversy this week about Bill Maher talking about how the Democrats have effed up so bad in calling it defund the police. And I kind of have to agree with him. Yeah, that was something the second I heard uh, the phrase being used or I saw it on a sign or wherever I first uh, saw it come up. And I immediately knew that that there was going to be a hard swing against that. Because that's not really what that's not what we need. That's not really what the, the majority of people want. That's too far. Exactly. Exactly. So if you want to talk about what defund the police actually means, it means let's figure out what the police are doing. Let's figure out if they need to be doing all of it. And if not, can we divert funds elsewhere to have maybe uh, non-armed officials conducting those types of tasks instead of the police Mm -hmm. um you know like can we have maybe just a traffic officer come up behind you and write you a ticket for your infraction instead of having an armed man hover over you and possibly you know incite some type of violent reaction like are we talking about traffic here or are we talking about uh search and seizure so it's like Defunding the police means let's take a hard look at the money that we give them and what we ask them to do. And so if you want to if you want to talk about that, Kamala Harris talked about demilitarize demilitarize the police. That's a good wording, but that doesn't go far <clears throat> enough. It should just be called police reform. Reform police, police. accountability. Yeah. Whatever you want to say, but it, it has to do with taking a hard look at some of the worst things that go on in protecting the police and in their, you know, performance of their duties. Yeah, simply defunding the police is is to almost take a step toward anarchy. Um, we don't want to do that. What we want are better police. And simply stripping them of, of their money, that's not going to improve anyone's quality of living. So... I, 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 I reform the police, I think, is the what I would rather go with. Demilitarize Kamala Harris, whatever works for her. Yeah. But uh, we do have uh, cuts being made, though, or at least intentional cuts to be made, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, we saw L.A. and New York talk about how they're going to start taking funds away. I think it was a billion dollars in New York. That's a lot. It's a ton, but they also had a ton to begin with, and it's a giant place, you know. Um but, you know, people want to point to Camden in terms of disbanding the cops and dissolving the cops. It's like, yeah, but what you don't talk about is the second part of that, where they ended up with, I believe, more funding for cops and more police on the street, albeit with the caveat that each officer then had to go around to every door in their district and introduce themselves as a new officer, which blew my mind. I was like, holy shit, that's amazing. What what better way to humanize yourself amongst the people that you're patrolling and protecting you know, than to meet them face to face and introduce to actually them. Join the community. Yeah. Yeah. Because so you, you don't kill people who are members of your community. You kill strangers. Oh, absolutely. And not only that, but um, 
one of the main things they did was disband the police because they needed to restructure the union contract. Like, mm-hmm. I can't tell you a bigger impediment to actual progress than police unions at this point. Yeah, I actually don't, I don't know much about police unions, but um, I, I, I've not heard good things, so. Absolutely. Well, if you look at the ones who are defending, like, um, even the ones in New York City, they're like, listen, if we can't do our job, we can't do strangleholds, well, you know, we're not going to be able to do it. And then they actually have this, like, mafia mentality where if you speak bad against them, they're like, hey, we might not be there next time you need us. You know, it's like, yeah, are you maybe- serious? That's what you're threatening us with because we want to keep you accountable? Who's going to protect you? Who's going to who's gonna save you when you get roughed up? And not only that, you had the um, the union officer, the union chief in Minneapolis talk about how, oh, yeah, they got these reforms in place, but I'm not going to listen to them and I'm not going to get in trouble um, because they know that the arbitration periods for these hearings can go for years and then you end up getting some kind of plea or there's all these outs because of, you know, the qualified immunity or all these other stipulations that are built right into their contracts that no other union in the country or any other occupation has to cover their asses. I understand they have a tough job to do, but you can't be destroying records. You can't uh, get you can't like keep people from seeing the records of these policemen. And um, there is just so little transparency and accountability built into the contracts that they can't move forward in the same manner and still get reforms done. So all of these have to be looked at at a federal level, and they have to be mandated into these localities that will be very, very hesitant. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, Basically, you're you're trying to build uh, communities, um, using that word again, where – People are friends with the cops. We're not trying to have a war going on here, but you can't have you can't have a list of things, no matter how tough the job is, that are intended to be there to protect people, but instead are being abused to to give power and corruption uh, that, that essentially puts the the intended community in a state of fear. Yeah, yeah, and and okay, so to that point, right? Someone was saying that. Oh, um, a lot of people like to say that the police aren't working as well as they should be. And uh, if you look at it from a black perspective, they say, no, actually, it's working just as intended, just as they had intended it to work and how it has been since the outset. So I don't know if you got to watch John Oliver this week, but his entire episode was on policing. And it talked about how a lot of them, you know, even in the South, when it was basically just to capture runaway slaves, that was where policing started. And and if you look at uh, another group, the uh, Texas Rangers, who, you know, for all their glory, have had a very bad history. Um, these, these things have started from a place of bias and discrimination and racism and the types of protections that have been placed upon that only perpetuate it ever since their founding. So there's a lot to be knocked down. Yeah. And you're talking about a history for so long. Somehow it's it's persisted for this many years, uh, these sort of uh, ingrown biases in, in, in a systemic issues that we have uh, regarding racism predominantly in the South. And like I said earlier on, 
with the momentum that we're building right now during this exact period is when all of these things need to be put under a microscope. Totally agree. Um, I even shared the John Oliver episode with my family. And, you know, some of them are just old and just not as informed and just not as really progressive. And, and they got back to me and they were like, wow, that was not only well put together, but extremely enlightening and disturbing. <laughs> so it's like these types of messages and this type of um, outlook is are it's it's reaching new audiences and that I couldn't be happier about that. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that uh, media like uh, John Oliver and even uh, back when John Stewart uh, was still on the air, I like when they can use humor, but truth within humor to sometimes cross over those those uh, those lines that we've drawn in the sand, be it because of uh, political stance or political ideology or just age in general, like you're saying, and maybe get across a point that somebody wouldn't have considered because he's at least making you laugh, but he's telling the truth while he's doing it. And I sure. love that. And, and a lot of people say that laughter is the expulsion of nervous energy. You know, like when you have the punchline, it is basically a relief because you didn't know what to anticipate or it caught you off guard. Um, and I think that that's basically what you're looking at because um, a lot of the time the jokes are nothing more than the truth. A, a reading of the hypocrisy <laughs> yeah, at hand. It's like that's funny enough on its own. The, the, you don't even have to make a joke. It's just like, ha, 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 holy shit, can you believe that? <laughs> right. And yeah, if you've got a, a humorous delivery the way that John Oliver does, and it works. You know, I, I find that the most uh, – the most constructive uh, discussions I've ever had in my life with people regarding politics and religion have a very large undertone based in humor. So as long as you're laughing, people are listening. In terms of capitalizing on the moment, some people were actually trying to liken this movement to uh, Sandy Hook and gun reform, and which first of all is classless and disgusting because they they aren't the same, but they are the same in that the same type of people are same providing people. the pushback. Yep. And so I have to ask those types of people, is there a white supremacist lobby that actually calls themselves that? You know, not just in in effort, but in name? Uh, no. You know, and there is no right to hate speech. So that's where the differences are. Um, you can say that you have a right to own your gun, but you do not have a right to be a racist. Yeah, and I, th- we, I think we do have uh, white supremacist lobbyists, I'm not going as far as David Duke, but I believe there's a ton of money that gets pumped into these uh, these corrupt platforms that you see that are kind of grounding a lot of the, uh, the right-wing pushback when there's something like a gun massacre or a racially charged event like the George oh, Floyd thing. Oh, sure. People can make the case for the NRA or a bunch of other very well-funded organizations furthering this type of discrimination, but they can never put it in their platforms either through shame or because it's actually illegal to do so. Right. Well, mostly yeah. illegal. I, I, there's all those really those subtle undertones um, that – that when you see him, and we could talk yeah. about the Confederate flag. <laughs> we could talk yeah. about. Oh yeah, let's talk about the Confederate flag. <laughs> because, because what does nothing that is. Mean? <laughs> yeah, that's not a dog whistle. That's a dog bullhorn. Yeah, I don't think that um, I, I, the Confederate flag has been a, 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 something that's up for debate uh, since well my entire life, but probably dating all the way back to uh, the late 19th century. 
And I understand that some people think that there's a history that goes along with it, and it does. It has more meaning than just the the movement. But it was also the symbol of that secession. It was a symbol of <laughs> yeah. American treason, and it was a symbol of American treason over the idea of inequality. Over the idea of a United States of America, a.k.a. over the idea of this effing country. Yes, it was it – literally stands for a treasonous movement and i've heard people say well it also it stands for the soldiers that I'm like no don't even start with that it's you're talking about the soldiers flag. it's a battle right. flag it's the soldiers that were literally trying to kill americans and secede from the country so don't tell me about that fucking isis has a battle flag too i do we should hang that up in classrooms absolutely just, not just only like that the, get the uh, confederate flag and the isis flag and fly them both at nascar events there's a local teacher here in Youngstown area, in Austintown, I believe, who defends the right to have the Confederate flag in his classroom to this day. Um, I think a janitor took it down uh, one time th- during the coronavirus when he wasn't looking or something. But um, he's caused an uproar recently because he's talking about how it's all about the, the heritage and whatnot. Uh, I would just say to that that uh, if we forget uh, our history, because I know that I had to be reminded the Confederacy only lasted five years. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about a long heritage? No, no, no. You're talking about five years worth of history. So how much heritage could be derived from that? What you're talking about is a white supremacist history that you'd like to get back to. Right. It's not a history of the South. It's a history of five years of war where half of the country was trying to break away so they could essentially keep the right to own slaves now yeah. if that's if that's your history then come out and say that yeah don't hide please. behind some bullshit about you know some other historical lesson that that we just don't understand because we live in the north come out and say what it really is and mean it and i'll actually have maybe more respect for you probably not though <laughs> Probably not, <laughs> but at least I'll know where you stand and not know that you're uh, equivocating from a position of ignorance. Right. At least I won't think that you're living in some kind of a oblivious naivete regarding a symbol that literally means treason to our country and inequality to black people. Horny toads. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back and rewatch the um, Confederate Sam clip from uh, Bugs Bunny uh, canon, and it is so effing offensive. It's so bad. Um, so Yosemite Sam is Confederate Sam, and he says, Oh, I, I just stepped on Yankee soil. I got to burn my boots. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, but then... Uh, Bugs Bunny comes in in blackface and says, Massa, Massa. And I'm like, holy Jesus Christ. Like, even on the right side of this argument, there is so much wrong with this cartoon. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was so normal back then. It was. I, people always gross, lean on the, the crows and, uh, and oh, Dumbo for oh, being the, the big... That's bad. <laughs> the big sign. But it wasn't just them. It was, it was the cartoons across the board. It was the Warner yeah. Brothers. It was the MGM Tom and Jerry stuff. It was Walt Disney, of course. And yeah, oh, Thomas, Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> Remember that, that Mammy character? The, the fat black um, nanny lady walking around. 
Oh, but it, it wasn't stigmatized back then. He, people didn't realize. Yeah, so ingrained. Well, that's because nobody from oppressed peoples were able to stand up and be listened to. Like, right. I'm sure if you asked them and they weren't going to be feared of retribution, they'd be like, yeah, can we get rid of this, please? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm cool with uh, this betrayal of me. Not cool. Exactly. So in terms of portrayals, what do we say in um, about we had Governor Andrew Cuomo equivocated Christopher Columbus with this whole flag thing? Because you've seen all these monuments of Confederate soldiers being toppled down. And you've also seen Christopher Columbus statues being toppled down, beheaded, thrown into lakes. All mm-hmm. kinds of cool shit because we know Christopher Columbus in hindsight was a terrible human being. But Cuomo, when asked, said, yo, you know, hey, it's uh, it just reminds everybody how good uh, Italian-Americans are. Yeah, I don't think we're there yet, unfortunately. Uh, because we're we not. need to be. Because Columbus <laughs> was essentially committing genocide when he popped over here. Um, and if there's anyone who's going to be charged with, with oppressing uh, people in a race and taking credit for some stuff that he didn't even do... I mean, this guy... He's number one on the list, isn't he? He's number number one on the list, and I live in a a city that's literally named for the man. Right, right. But the problem is, is that he apparently went through Ellis Island, too, because it's not Cristobal Colombo, Ohio. It's Christopher Columbus, Ohio. And I think that if you ask uh, most (laughs) Americans what nationality he was, they wouldn't even fucking know. They wouldn't even know. Not only that... But his his journeys, because he was, I don't know, a bad sailor or something, were funded through Portugal, not through right. Italy. Spain. So I, I didn't, I I didn't even know Spain, he was Italian for the longest time. I think it was through Spain that funded him. I think All right, there you Ferdinand, go. Ferdinand's the one who fund, funded him. So Ferdinand yeah. and Isabella sending him on the ocean blue. <laughs> he couldn't even get ships from his own country. Then he comes over here. Yeah, he was essentially the first, uh, the first WAP. And I use that term as a an Italian myself. As a proud Italian yourself. Yep. Likewise, without likewise. without papers, and he went ahead and uh, somehow he got his his last name changed to Columbus, as American sounding as apple pie. Yeah. So um, there is a disconnect there, and um, we might not know the history of Columbus, or enough people don't. But the push to change Columbus Day to Indigenous Peoples Day has my full and unbridled support. Yeah, I'm 100% behind that, and the faster that happens, that's that's going to be on the fast track before we see all the statues come down, and especially before uh, the town I live in comes to a point where they <laughs> it's change It's going to get renamed. Yeah, that's they're going to change happening. it to indig- indigenous people land. <laughs> no, you know, we already have the brochures made, so we kind of, our hands are tied. We're, we're kind of stuck, but um, yeah. we could at least maybe find another Columbus to support. There's got to yeah. be some. How about Chris Columbus, the director? He directed some good movies. Home Alone, great movie. Chris Columbus. Wow, was that his? That's his work. That is a fine job there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there um, you go. <laughs> we'll honor <but> him. Yeah. <laughs> so not only did we have uh, the pushback to the Confederate flag, but we're having pushback around the country for just uh, showing a support for the Black Lives Matter movement in general, which I think is equally disgusting. Um. We had a, a local Taco Bell worker in Youngstown get fired for having Black Lives Matter on his mask, even though the company had no policy about writing on your mask. So he goes right onto social media after this, and there is a firestorm and protests outside the Taco Bell the next day, and then corporate had to come down and say, yo, we stand with this dude. 
Yeah, I um, I, I read the story and it it sounded like he he had a, a different mask on, but he couldn't breathe in it because of the the. Uh, the, I think the I air know, conditioning the broke heat? in the building. Actually. Is that what it was? Yeah, that yeah. it was too hot, and he couldn't breathe in the mask. So he put on his other mask that happened to say BLM on it, and they asked him to take it off, and he said, "I can't, I can't wear that other mask." And he, they said, "Well, if you leave, you're fired," and so he got fired. Yeah. yeah. So and- um, I don't know. I still, I'm not sure if you think that was strictly about what was printed on the mask or the fact that it wasn't a approved mask by that particular franchise. Well, I think that people weren't getting in trouble for wearing different Other, types of plain masks. Okay. It just so happened to be the, what so was the line printed was on there. Yeah, because okay. the manager at the time said, uh, well, we can't bring uh, politics into the workplace. And he's like, this isn't political, ma'am. This is my life. You know what I mean? Like right. this is this is beyond politics. And if you're looking at it through the political lens, something's probably wrong with you. Yeah. And when, when do we decide what's political enough to fire somebody over and what's not? Because last I checked, about three weeks ago, even the coronavirus was political. Even <laughs> wearing a mask in general was a political thing. So isn't he just uh, showing off uh, some kind of a leftist political stance by wearing a mask at all? Because you know, the virus <laughs> yeah, is just double. A hoax. That's a double stance, exactly. Uh, it's it's apparently not political once you go into an establishment that wants to maintain their credibility and their customer base and make you feel safe because they're all wearing them because they understand that coronavirus is real, that transmission is real, and um, last time I checked, a lot of these things weren't political until somebody made them that way. Correct. And you know what else uh, helps people feel safe? Probably in the community that this gentleman was working in, I'd imagine that most of them would feel safe when they know that there is a certain movement in place that's trying to change things for the way they live their lives and the way that they are treated by police. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so uh, BLM in a similar is vein, too. BLM is now avail- or allowed to be on masks at Starbucks. I think they had a policy that said no, and then midweek they changed it to yes, you know. Okay. Just under It's a liberal public. company, so it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think we should probably go next to the uh, voting because we want to talk about rights and we want to talk about suppression. Sure. We can talk about this Georgia primary debacle, which is just uh, the tip of the iceberg for what we what might portend in uh, in the fall. Yeah, and, and that's something that's really, really scary uh, to think about, the, the idea of wh- what we would have to do should Trump lose the election and, and refuse to leave the office. And unbelievable enough, that, that's been something that was discussed about him since he moved in. So this right. has been talked for three years, and now we're seeing – well, give me, give me your take on the, the, the Georgia uh, debacle. Well, uh, to your point right there, Biden – called him out this week and said that the uh, Capitol Police or the Secret Service would have to forcibly remove him if he lost because he wouldn't leave, mm-hmm. uh, to which Trump actually said, no, I'll go. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually that was did just... hear Trump's response to that. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> so that was just yesterday or the day before. I thought it was hilarious <laughs> because he actually had to address it because it was such a long, simmering question. Uh just because he doesn't feel that when he loses, things are legitimate. Exactly. Um, and that, that's that been true 
since, like you said, day one, his inaugural... I mean, first of all, the guy lost the election by 3 million votes. And the first thing he did is come out and say, like, well, like, you know, 50 million illegals were out oh, there voting. Yeah. Like, dude, like, is there anything? Can anything be said that you can't rebuke with complete and utter bullshit? Seriously. Um, but, I mean, so you have the dismantling of the Voting Rights Act. And that essentially means that there is no national consensus on how these things have to go and what kind of changes are and aren't allowed to take place in terms of machines and counting and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, let's get back to the the another point, which is like gerrymandering. Um, you have these districts that are so just yes or no, Republican or Democrat, that mm-hmm. there are some states that like will have... Sixty percent of the overall vote go to Democrats, but only forty percent of the House seats uh, they win. So it's yeah. so skewed. Virginia in, um, and Pennsylvania, a lot of those states have some of those districts. The way that yeah. they're drawn, it's hilarious. And I think we talked about this in an earlier show, but Ohio and some other places have anti-gerrymandering laws that either are in effect or will be taking effect really soon and that movement um with a little bipartisan support i believe has started uh, getting momentum in the last few years because it's gotten so out of hand um it's a and dirty also word. because yeah so. also because it's a, a, a census year and uh obviously that is where we start redrawing districts and it, yeah it needs to be addressed and i hope um it, as we start to eliminate some of the problems with gerrymandering, because it is a major problem. It is affecting uh, congressional districts. It is affecting our lawmakers. And when you you put all the Dems somehow together into one little group with a what looks like a child's drawing of like a rocking horse or something that just goes all around <laughs> yeah. like a, a, a circle. But I would like to see this being a, a jump-off point. And I just mentioned that Trump lost the election. I think that we need to eventually push past the electoral college and go with the absolutely i mean we're never going to be able to get rid of two senators per state which is completely outlandish and weighted incorrectly in terms of the populace Mm -hmm. but if we want to talk about uh direct proportionate uh voting being held by um the the population that's that's one of the biggest impediments and there isn't a single argument I've heard against it that isn't completely antiquated and uh, outdated and in its rationale. Bald-facedly partisan, yeah. Yes. It's straight up. Wow, I can't believe you actually like the Electoral College. Uh, which way do you vote usually again? Oh, right. Yeah, and I was listening to somebody who actually was on the um, – who was in Florida and part of the recount down there. And obviously they said they were really happy with the way it turned out because they were Republicans. But they said, listen, there is way too much power held in the people who do these recounts. So if you're a district that is Republican-led, then the Republicans get to lead the recount, which is super fishy. So um, you have um, – what's his name? Brian Kemp? Is that his name from Georgia? Yes, that's the Georgia governor. Yeah, the governor. For, yeah, so he's talking about how listen uh, on on election day, primary day last week, 150 out of the 159 counties here in the state, everything worked just fine. It's like, yeah, well, 
let's talk about how the nine counties that didn't work so well hold probably 60% of the population of the state. All the 150 ones you said went well are all these podunk, mostly white and Republican ones. And yeah, they work just fine, but you were suppressing the vote of the majority of the citizens who live in densely populated areas and you don't care to make sure that they're not standing in line for six hours. Um, Yeah, and it is. It's voter suppression intentionally. And these people aren't getting out to uh, aren't getting out to uh, vote for, you know, they don't have five, six hours to spend standing at the polls. But, you know, of course uh, we wouldn't want to make it easier to vote by mail or something of that such such a divisive nature no but voting by mail is going to happen in record numbers this year and we're going to to have to have the infrastructure in place not only to get the ballots out but also to have them counted and we can't defund the uh post office in the meantime to see and if we can make that even harder which is totally illegitimate um did you have a chance to listen to the Stacey Abrams interview with Mark Marin this week? No, I actually didn't. I, I, I wanted to, and I, I completely forgot. As you know, I've been a little bit sick. so that, Yeah, no, that's fine. It's just like she is so exemplary in, in, in everything that she says and does that I can't believe that this week Joe Biden uh, you know, kind of leaks out the short list of his VP candidates, and she is not at the top. She's not even on it, I don't think. You know, so like Val Demings and and Kamala Harris are still on it. You know, as as representatives of people of color, but her of all people to not be on it, like when her whole thing was voter suppression in the last governor election where she lost. Um, and all these people were disenfranchised in those type of districts. Mm-hmm. For her not, she is. She was so amazing in that interview. Like I was so impressed. I'm like, how could this not be the clear cut favorite for the yeah, office? Yeah, I, I was under under the impression that we she had been shooting up the list, and I was shocked to uh, to read your note on the fact that um, she's not on the short list at all. Um, I, I, it's hard for me to keep updated with uh, Biden's VP pick. He needs to come out with one. Now sure, would be now, ideal for him to come out with one, but it, yeah. especially during a, a, a time which is obviously politically divisive, medically divisive, and yeah, when it comes to voter suppression, another key issue, there's no reason for him not to choose someone, if not Stacey Abrams, but someone like her. Absolutely. I mean, maybe that was just an oversight, and maybe they're just waiting for some kind of big thing to happen, but it doesn't sound like it, and I'm, I'm a little disappointed in that. Yeah, because you can't have someone like Kemp dismissing, you know, nine county. Like, yeah, uh, Ohio, uh, everything went well except for, uh, you know, Franklin, Cuyahoga, Mahoning, (laughs) and Hamilton counties. Uh, Right, right. Those are the only issues. Oh, well, that only represents 80% of the people in your state, but I'm glad all those stalks of wheat were able to get to the ballot box. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) All those people up there in Huron County. They got their votes in before they had to get back on the tractors. All right, so let's move on to coronavirus, and then we'll uh, probably wrap it up with a little bit of sports and entertainmento. Sure, let's do it. Um, we have the second wave, or all right, not the second wave, but the second spike occurring right now because a wave is going to come in the fall when it's mass um, transmission um, due to seasonal affectations but uh, right, right now even in the hot weather and even in the sun belt in places like uh, Florida and whatnot but uh, a lot of these places are having their highest 
race just say ever. the South because <laughs> it's pretty much all of them. It They're, is. It is. It's it's crazy. All these Southern states and people want to think that because we're we're opening stuff up that it's gone and it's completely the opposite. Yeah. Of all of these, we're seeing more and more cases. It's still here. So, yeah, you want to keep saying, well, it was overblown to begin with. Pretty soon you're going to know somebody. You're going to see people in your rural area where you're walking around talking about what a government scam this was and uh, denouncing masks. You're going to know people and you're going to see people in your hospitals the same way that we did for the past six – no, I don't even know how many months it's been. Five months? So – yeah, and I don't know. I think it was like Churchill or some other uh, World War Two dude who said that you know one one death is a tragedy, but a million is a statistic or something like that. So uh, yeah. when you hear that type of thing, uh, you can understand why people, if they if it isn't directly affecting them, or if it's not something where people are lying dead in their neighborhood, they just assume that it's not that big of a deal. Right, and it's a visceral thing. If you're not up close and personal with the death, then it's really it's it's the same way Americans have been for the last hundred years regarding war. We're all so gung ho about, uh, and when I say we're all, I'm talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. as a nation, mm-hmm. yeah, as an uh, ethos. We're we're willing to blow up all these countries in Europe because there's never been an American war fought on our soil since the Civil War. Right. I, mean, I right. guess you could talk about Pearl Harbor being bombed, but. Yeah, that counts. We haven't seen um, anything since then, and it's yeah, not on the mainland, right? So we have no idea what that's like, and I think that's the way these rural counties are kind of seeing the coronavirus. They're like, well, you know, uh, Sweden, look, look how they did. They did better than ever. No, Sweden actually has up. one of the highest death rates of the world now, and their chief epidemiologist it openly is admitting now that they definitely should have done more. So the Sweden argument out the door. Yeah, and I think that's okay because what we're seeing is maybe they can mitigate the damage done with a little bit of reflection and a little bit of recalibration. Mm-hmm. So that's what we need to see in this country. Uh, Beijing closed its biggest market after seven new cases, right? Uh, and that was after the first locally transmitted case in over 50 days. Almost two months. Now that is a response right there. <laughs> yeah, and that's what you'll see from an authoritarian government, but we have to, you know, at least do something, uh, you know, a leagues less than that. Whatever we can muster, let's not do nothing. Well, I, I don't really see us doing anything until there's a vaccine. I, no, that's I just hear my you. prediction. This, but this the problem is, is, is that we need leadership. If we don't have solutions, we at least need leadership. And, um, this week, I got to mention that Dr. Amy Acton, the uh, all-star um, health director from Ohio and, and Governor DeWine's right-hand lady, had to step down this week. And, you know, she probably made the excuse of, I need to spend more time with my family like a politician does. We know why she stepped out. Yeah, because she's catching heat from all these morons. Pardon me. No. <laughs> Pardon them. Yeah, <laughs> Actually, no, don't even right. do I that. Mean, the, the truth is... She has done a terrific job this entire time. And even as DeWine has had to buckle under pressure and face all this criticism from everyone who thinks the the virus is a hoax and it's been overblown and masks are pointless, she stayed so responsible and firm in the public spotlight about what needs to be done and doing everything she can do just to help save lives. 
She right. took and death threats. She, she took all kinds of violent threats made to her, protests outside of her house. She took it all in stride for the better good. God and bless her. And not only that, but like her her humanity was on her sleeve the entire time. Yeah. Um. She said she was vulnerable on camera. She was empathetic on camera. Uh. Her metaphors are the are a thing of legend right now in terms of explaining complex things to the populace. Um. She was on CNN with Muppets this week explaining coronavirus to kids. That's so awesome. Like like yeah, what an absolute treasure and, and a great great Ohioan and a great American and and to think that she might have gotten bullied or pressured out or just has had enough with these people to, to be able to do her job is it, really sad. It's depressing. But yeah. uh, if, if, if she has a family member or herself, would be great. Listening to our podcast, know that we thank you, we appreciate you, and we love you. Absolutely. I mean, luckily, she said that she is staying in some sort of advisory role, but she won't be out there at the front lines, you know, helping to guide uh, the residents of Ohio and the nation. Yeah, she'll probably be a figurehead and a write-off only. So, Right on. Um, so, yeah, let's get to some really cool stuff like uh, MLB players talking about how they're nowhere near a deal, and um, I don't see how we're going to have football. So <laughs> you want to take any of those? Yeah, yeah. I don't think we're getting uh, baseball. I don't think – I don't see how it's Really? You don't see it happening point. at all? They're, I don't know. They're not close yet. Um, I, it sounded like a week or so ago that they were – you know, they, there were talks and a few months or maybe just a month ago. Uh, they, it sounded like they were they were going to kind of come to some kind of a weird league, you know, read, uh, readjustment and have teams playing in different locations and all yeah. this. But all of that seems like it's out the door. Football's still up in the air, but um, football's up in the air, but it shouldn't be. Like, how are we going to have football when the whole point of it is to breathe on each other? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. You can definitely at least try to stand a couple feet away from the first baseman if you're a base runner. I don't yeah, know how exactly. you avoid somebody if you're on the offensive line. <laughs> I That is interesting, though. Are they going to have mandatory leadoffs at first base? <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? everyone, to keep your six feet? Halfway between the first and second base. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. But, I mean, so... Obviously, basketball is the easiest one to be able to uh, do and to perform because not only is it going to be completely truncated when they only have essentially the playoffs to to get through, mm-hmm. but uh, the the size of the teams the is small, so much small smaller. Teams. Yeah, you got fifteen guys in each team and a few coaches. And now, I think just this week, you heard that there is, quote-unquote, a preponderance of players at the top of the league who don't want to, who don't feel comfortable playing or don't want to do it in the bubble that they're going to require them to do it in. And, uh, you know, that's just a little disheartening as well because, you know, you're getting paid a lot of money. Can you just make the sacrifice? If it's not about safety and it's about the fact that you can't go out to eat between games or whatever, that's ridiculous. Like, you you guys make enough money where everyone can bring their own personal chef, essentially, and nobody has to leave. You can get it all done for a month. Half the teams go away each week and, and we'll have a champion, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, but, but that seems like the easiest one to bring back, and even they're having real issues right now. Well, they they were one of the first. Uh, well, they were the first league to have to deal with. They um, shut it down. Yeah, to deal with the virus uh, in house. I, I don't know. I have a hard time. Uh, that one, I could go either way, 
because I understand that they're worried about safety for themselves and their families. And they, I don't think they have a clear understanding about how exactly it would work. I, I seriously doubt that they would be under the understanding that they'd be bringing in, you know, sack lunches with bologna sandwiches uh, for, yeah. for food or something. But um, maybe just the conditions that they, they don't want to put themselves or their families uh, in that kind of a situation. If, but if it's all about the glitz and the glamour, then yeah, I'm totally with you on that because I right. mean, yeah, you get paid a ton of money to provide something that America is sorely in need of right now. Yeah, and if you yeah, real live sports, everyone yep. would love to see it, and it can't you know it can't just be golf and tennis or some other stuff that a lot of people really don't want to see. But right, you know, I don't like need to football, watch Tom man. Brady golf anymore. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so if we do get football, Baker Mayfield said that he absolutely will kneel. And I thought to myself, well, who's not going to this year? There there will still be a few standing, 100%. But I, I think you're going to see an overabundance of, uh, of guys kneeling. I can't imagine any African-American football player not kneeling. And any anyone on a team who's got a, a brotherhood and a bond with those guys, white, Asian, Latino, whatever – they should all be on their knees right next to him. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, and it will show solidarity. And we've seen uh, the league obviously come out in support of the movement, but we haven't seen any of the owners come out in support of the movement, which is a little fishy. Um, but, yeah, we'll see if uh, Colin Kaepernick gets a job again. We'll see if we actually have a chance to put these people's feet to the fire because we don't even know if we're going to be able to get out there. Yeah. And it turns out old Cap was right this whole Damn time. right, man. That dude's been held to the fire for like four, four or five years now he's been out. Yeah, and people want to pick apart like the smallest missteps that he makes in terms of delivering the message. And they act like you have to be the 100% cleanest character in the world or you're you're just going to be denigrated and your message means nothing. Right, it's you like, can't have a message may I, perfect May I present <laughs> uh, evidence one, Barack Obama. Uh, <laughs> this man did damn near everything right in his entire life, and you still thought he was the second coming of Satan. Or how about uh, somebody like LeBron James? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, okay, nobody was was thrilled, except for people in Miami, about uh, the way he left in 2010. But in general, this dude has lived a model life under some of the toughest of conditions, and he gets just shat on all the time. What's yeah. wrong with his character? Why can't one, he speak out? One I can't breathe t-shirt has you asking, why can't you just shut up and dribble? Yeah, shut up and dribble. Like, really? I want to put your character on the line next to his. I want to see your skills as a father and as a husband on the <laughs> line next to his. I want to see how good you are at your profession and being a model citizen and giving back to your community and measure yeah. it next to his. How many high schools did you build? <laughs> right. Come on, man. <laughs> Dude's oh, a man. model citizen, and you're coming at him because you don't agree with a message that now we all see was 100% correct. Oh, man, it is never ending, Pete. <laughs> it never ends. We could go on and on and rant and rant. But and we will, and we will, but I think we're going to have to stop for this week because, uh, you know, I got to go mow the lawn. Okay, that sounds good. I'm going to lie down <laughs> on the couch and uh, probably do nothing, so... That sounds really good, too. Yeah, um, it needs to be done. i got to get healthy. Now, I just got to reiterate uh, to the listening audience that all of June is scleroderma, 
Research Awareness Month. I wanted to get this plug in one more time and actually for the rest of the month because it is near and dear to me. If you didn't get to hear get to hear last week's episode, uh, it's an autoimmune disease that my mom uh, has contracted and, and you know has been living with for over 17 years and we've been really active in the um, in the fundraising and the awareness building for this. Um, I'd ask that anybody who would like to donate go to Boardman sdwalk.org and I will ask you to go and click um, donate under a team. You can donate under my sister Kelly's team only because my team is now trouncing her and I'd like to give her a little bit of help. Little, <laughs> little olive branch there. But um, I would like to thank anybody ahead of time who gets a chance to do that and if not, just check it out and maybe you could uh, help raise the awareness if anybody is suffering some from some mysterious symptoms in your life. It could really be a groundbreaking thing. Yeah, that's something very personal to you, so everyone should uh, – I would like to take a moment also to remind everyone that uh, June is uh, the LGBTQ Awareness Month. Um, the only people in our country being discriminated against don't happen to be black right now. It's it's everyone, and uh, trans rights are under attack again uh, mm-hmm. right at this very moment uh, by our president. And we have people like uh, the Republican Senator uh, Susan Collins actually breaking ties with Trump because of uh, the discriminatory rollback of the protections he has for these groups. So uh, extend a fist to your, to your fellow LGBTQ person. Um, we probably won't have the parades that we normally do, but uh, right. this is just uh, one more reminder that we need to keep moving forward and keep fighting against prejudice and discrimination in this country. Hell yeah, dude. Absolutely. Great share. Thank you very much. Yeah, so I think that's going to do it for us. Um, Obviously, check us out on iTunes and all the other places that you find podcasts. Thank you very much uh, to Ryan Little for awesome intro music as always. And for Ron Cabuno and uh, Pete Crawford, uh, we will see you next week. It's good to see you guys, and we'll see you in a week.